are listening to Take Charge podcast, host by Anthony Joseph. And we are back with a new episode with the one and only Dr. Anand. Today I have lots of topics and concerns of people that they are asking me and I would like to discuss it with you. First of all, let us zoom out and go to the 2040 and speak about the economic agenda, how we're going to divide the city, what's going to happen. Tell us more about it, please. All right. Firstly, thank you for having me back again. Oh, yeah. So I think we need to start from the 2040 because the future 50 years, the next 50 years of Dubai actually comes from that agenda. Now, the Dubai Urban Master Plan was announced by Sheikh Mohammed on the 13th of March 2019, uh, 2021, 13th of March 2021. And the primary focus of the whole agenda was to make Dubai the number one city in the world by 2040. So in 20 years time, we have to become the best city in the world. Interestingly, in just two years after that, we became number three on the planet already. So I think we'll probably hit number one way before 2040. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is the plan? The urban master plan is looking at developing the economic viabilities and futures of this city, but it is also breaking up the entire city, the future of Dubai, into five main areas, three existing areas and two areas that will be developed in the future. They've started already in these areas. The first is the Dera and the Bar Dubai areas, where focus will be on culture, tradition, history, and legacy of the city. So that will continue to see developments, but the story of Dubai and how we got built is going to come of these come from these areas. In fact, if you go to the frame in Karama, and when you get in, the very first thing you're introduced to is the legacy and the history of Dubai. So you will see the old Dubai the Dera and Bar Dubai. So we introduce even the tourists into our city first to the legacy of the city. And that is something we have to protect. It is our heritage. That is going to be one area. The second area is the business, commercial and the financial hub, which is the downtown business bay and the DIFC comes into that area. We already have one of the most profitable financial centers in the world in DIFC. 17 of the top 20 global banks are all in the DIFC area. Seven of the top law firms, 13 of the most prestigious investment firms. For example, UBS, which is the number one wealth management bank in the world. They've got offices in the DIFC area. You've got uh, the regional headquarters of the Standard Charters, the HSBCs, the Citibank, the Barclays, MasterCard and Visa. They're all in that area. It is very, very clear that we are the next big thing for business in the Middle East. So the second zone is the economic, financial and commercial zone. The third zone or area is for tourism recreation, and that is the Dubai Marina JBR. That area has been classified, which will, of course, include into it the blue waters and the palm that we have. So that is for the tourism and future activities. The fourth area that is coming up is the Silicon Oasis area, which is going to be focusing a lot on knowledge, technology and innovation. It will become the innovation hub of the city. And the fifth one, which is already launched and started in a big way, is the Dubai South area, which is going to be focusing a lot on logistics. It's going to focus on affordable housing spreading into the desert, industrial development, as well as events and exhibitions, the large scale ones. We've seen the Dubai International Issues. We just had COP28 that was held there. We had the Expo. So you're going to have all these global, huge, big exhibitions and events happening in that area. So these are the five areas, culture and tradition. Then we have business, finance and commerce, which is the second one. Tourism and recreation is the third. 
knowledge, technology, and innovation is the fourth area. And the fifth area is logistics, exhibitions, events, and affordable lifestyle. And we're going to get industrial. These are the five areas. Now, part of the urban agenda was to develop to become one of the strongest economies in the world. And you will actually see in the plan, there is 168 square kilometers of land dedicated to industrial and commercial development. 168 square kilometers is coming up over the next uh, 20 years as part of that. In addition to that, hotels and hospitality and recreation, the space dedicated to that is going to increase by 134%. 60% of the emirate is going to become green and sustainability is the key going forward. So we are looking at an agenda that is looking at the, at the future of the world because today we are moving away from the natural resources into renewable resources around the world. And Dubai is putting a lot of focus on that as part of sustainability. We are going for the Leeds City Council ratings, gold or platinum, which requires a very heavy focus on sustainability for the future, renewable fuels rather than the fossil fuels. That was the original vision of the Dubai Urban Master Plan. Now, developing from that vision, we came to the Dubai Economic Agenda, the D33. And that was announced on the 4th of January last year. Sheikh Mohammed has said that every 4th of January, he's going to announce something major about Dubai because that was the day he of his ascension on his throne. So the Dubai Economic Agenda is looking right now at... Uh, in doubling the economy, we talked about it in the last video, from 14.2 trillion, we're going up to 25.6 trillion in the next 10 years. So it's the D33. So it's a smaller agenda within the larger urban agenda. So we're looking at doubling the economy. The eventual target is 32 trillion as our economy by 2033, but we are realistically looking at the 25.6 uh, trillion. In addition to that, the foreign investments is doubling. 650 billion is what we're looking at foreign direct investments in the city of Dubai. And that is being fueled by the economic agenda. Thirdly, we are now creating three new business and logistic corridors, economic corridors. That's what they call it. We are creating one with Latin America and the answer for that is obvious. We are now part of BRICS. You have Saudi Arabia and Iran that has been brought into it. So this whole part of the world is now being brought into this major uh, new conglomerate, if you want to call it, a conglomerate of countries. And we've got all the power hitters in there. There's the Russia, there's China, there's India. And what's really good for us is it shows the confidence that a country like UAE, a 30-year-old country technically has been included with these global powerhouses as countries. So we are opening to Latin America because we now need to improve business with that as a result of BRICS. The second economic corridor is coming up with Africa. The fastest growing continent is the baby continent of the world, but it's the fastest growing continent in terms of opportunities and the UAE is opening a logistics corridor there. The third corridor that we are opening up is Southeast Asia. We have already seen the Asian influence in Dubai. China is coming back. Countries like Malaysia, Thailand, Japan are looking very heavily into investing in Dubai. So these three new logistics and economic corridors are part of the D33 agenda. In addition to that, we are doubling our trade routes. 
We are going to add 400 more cities in the next 10 years. That's an average of 40 cities every year, new cities with which Dubai is going to establish business. So you're talking approximately three new cities every single month, Dubai. So almost every week, we're adding a new city to the trade route. That's how aggressive the plan is. And that's the reason why we are going to be doubling our economy. It's also the reason why the world is now coming to Dubai and we are going to see the 2.5 million people being added to our population skyline, if you can use that word, in the next 10 years. So we are in a very, very strong place. We have the second most stable economy on the planet, Switzerland being number one. This came out in the US News and World Reports. So when you have the second most stable economy on the planet, when you have one of the most aggressive annual GDPs where our economy is going to double, when you are opening new logistics corridors, when you have the golden visas, which is just attracting the whole world into Dubai, how is it possible that an industry like ours will not flourish? Because another word I would use to describe real estate is infrastructure. If I had to have another term, and you cannot have an economy growing and developing without infrastructure growing and keeping pace. So we need hotels. You have 80 new hotels coming up on Palm Jebel Ali. On the Deira Islands, you have another 80, that's 160 hotels in just two projects coming up. Uh, we have the biggest airport in the world, which can handle 25 million passengers a year. So we need infrastructures. We need hotels. We need malls. We need retail. We will need nightclubs. We will need residential communities. We will need towers. We will need commercial space, warehouses. There is no way an economy can grow without having the real estate infrastructure in place. So when people do not understand these economic agendas, the Dubai Urban 2040 plan or the economic agenda, and when they separate real estate and look at it as an industry in isolation from the economic agenda, it will never make sense. That's the reason why people talk about it as a bubble, because they are not looking at it uh, along with the economic agenda. All the big developers who are launching now, with 23 years of experience with them, they are not operating independently. They are part of the 2033 agenda. They know what the ruler of the city and what Dubai is trying to do. And that's why we have the launches. We had 37,600 units that got handed over last year. We had 77,000 additional launches that happened. 70 launches uh, units. 77,000 additional units have been launched. And we are still short of homes every year from now for the next five years. All these additional launches are inventory that will be available from 28 to 30. That's what's going to happen. The Palm Jebel Ali is not finished yet. They've just started. There is so much more to come out there. Dera Islands has got so much more to come out. You've got other new master communities. Imar is announcing two new ones. The existing mega communities have got so much of inventory not yet launched. All of this is part of that grand vision and you will see phase by phase launches as more and more people are coming. So either you are an incredible winner if you're in real estate today or if you are still hesitating, you're an incredible loser. Thank you for watching. See you in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, uh, we we have seen the, the announcement this week of the ease of the golden visas. Yes, and now correct. it's so easy for anyone to be golden yeah. visa. But as we always get the beautiful news, we always have the same doubters. It's the bubble people as the market will soften. Same guys. 
they are now having new doubts saying like we have seen that the world programs that are happening let's say in Portugal and Cyprus and all over the place now they're being shut down so what's the guarantee for these people that they, when they're gonna come and lock themselves into a property this will not happen also in Dubai okay great question now I'll answer this in two parts the first thing is I would exercise a little bit of caution Uh, for the broker and the developer community on the 10-year visa. Why? This was announced three days ago. Already there's confusion in the market. Correct. Because in barely one day, everybody jumped onto that bandwagon, went onto social media, started putting posts out there, but they have not fully read the article and there's a lot of misleading information out there. Imagine how much chaos we are causing with just one day. For example, uh, one of the articles that came out there and one of the posts that have come out there says, with just 50,000 now, you can apply for a residence visa. You say, hang on a second, read the full article. The article is clear that once you have made the down payment and you have signed the SPA and you have registered the unit and got your Akud, only then can you apply. Now, if you are looking at a property that is to be the property value still has to be 2 million in any property in Dubai that is worth 2 million. Where is the 50,000 entry? That's a 2.5%. It's the booking fee. Yeah. So on a booking fee, you don't get it. Correct. You have to do the down payment, which means that you have to do in some cases a minimum of 10%. That's 200,000. Or you're going to have to do a 20%, which is 400,000. So people have just jumped onto it, taken it, immediately splashed Let's it. put it in proper figures. Instead of someone paying the full two million, now let's say they need to the pay half a million, half a million, just to be safe, they can apply for it. Correct. Also, there is the second side of it, which is the locking period. Lots of people are thinking, let me come do a reservation form, pay, pay my 10%, apply for the visa, and then I can flip the property. This will not happen. The, period, the, the property will be locked for a certain period where you cannot be able to flip it. Well, absolutely. Think logically. Why did this visa come into the play? If I'm going to invest in property in Dubai, I may not be a resident. I could be from anywhere else in the world. But if I come to Dubai, I need a visa to live in the property. So the, the visa is connected to the property. You sell it, the right of ownership goes. I mean, the land department, immigration, RERA are all going to be working together. They have in their systems the indication which visas are being applied by investors, which are employment visas, which are property-related investment residencies, it will be there. So the moment a sale happens in the land department, it is going to trigger the authorities that this has changed. So no more will the visa be valid. So we need to understand that people cannot think that, let me invest, I have a visa, I sell and get my money back. That is definitely not going to happen. The second thing is, it may not necessarily be 20%, it could be 10%. The, if that's the payment plan, if there is a down payment of that, even on that you can apply. However, it is clearly mentioned even in the article, with off plan, it will be treated case by case. Why? Because you can have off plan, it's not any off plan, it is only that which has a value of over 2 million and it's based on the entry point so it's really dangerous for people to just go out there and drop a 50,000 because I know how many brokers think now they'll go to their clients and say 
Put just fifty thousand and you can apply. Try going to Imara and putting fifty thousand. Which property Actually, would you get? Actually, we started seeing on the website everyone is uh, advertising for a project and saying it comes with it a golden visa. It already <laughs> has started. Yeah, but again, they're using that as marketing. You go and talk to them, and then the client who's got five hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand is going to come. He's not getting the visa. So this is the imagine how much we have done. It, the the plus side is everyone's excited about the visa. The downside is without being genuine, without doing the clear research, without giving the right message, it's all over. And that is the danger that I'm talking of. Now to come to the second part of the question, which is a very important one. I actually heard it uh, in a developer's office today, which is many countries are shutting down on their programs or they are making it very, very difficult. They're doubling the entry fee. Cyprus has done it. The Singapore has added an additional 30% on foreign ownership. So it's now 60% tax. If you buy a property, it's almost killed the market. So literally the foreigner will not go to buy in again. It That's why we're seeing the, the rise of the Chinese in here. Right? Yeah. Because they're coming in here, they, they can't get it in Singapore. It doesn't make sense to any buyer to pick up a property and pay 60% on tax. You'll never break even. So many of these countries are island shut it down, for example. Now, what's the reason many of these countries are shutting it down? You see, if you look at the dynamics of the population in many of these countries, it is a very large percentage, 75 to 80% are local people. Now, the local people are finding it hard now to find homes because this attractive visas related to residency is making the world come to these countries and people from around the world can easily afford that that's why they're going in there however because they are coming in the demand has gone up for homes there which has caused an increase in prices which took homes out of reach for the local populations so the local populations have been putting pressure on governments. The oppositions create these as major agendas. So in many of these countries, they are actually pulling it back because they cannot uh, provide the homes. They don't have the economic vision to provide homes for the local population, which is 75 to 80%. So that is the first challenge because of the prices going up, they doubled it. So, for example, like you said, the Chinese are coming here because it doesn't make sense to buy anymore. Now, when they, when they stop buying in Singapore, what will it do? It will cool down the prices again so that the local people in that country will again have access to homes. This is one of the major reasons why this has been done. Now, with Dubai, why that will not happen? We are the opposite on population demographics. We have got between 86 to 92 percent. There are varying numbers out there. For sure, 85 to 88% is expat population. So This for, is Dubai, not That UAE, is Dubai. Dubai. I'm talking Dubai only. And so here we have two types of locals because it's the local population that will put the pressure on the governments. We have two types of Emiratis here. We have those who are the well-to-do, the successful people. They've already built all their mansions. They've been living in it for the last 20 years. They don't need the housing. There is the second kind of Emirati who is dependent heavily on government support. And here the government is actually supporting with housing. Sheikh Mohammed has just announced in Latifa City a 1.5 billion pro, uh, uh, investment project on 3,500 plots with 2,300 homes for the Emiratis. So the business people want the expats to come here because they gain money from them in their multiple business channels. The Emiratis who need help, the government has looked after them. So there is absolutely no reason for the local population, which is in a minority, that's completely looked after to come and put pressure on the governments. 
So it is easy for us to actually have this model in place. It for, What further supports Dubai in this is, we are not like the Singapore's and the London's and all those cities which are falling off the seams. There is no place for any development. And that's the reason why the local populations are concerned that if more and more foreigners are coming in here, what's left for us? We are developing into this desert. We are creating micro cities. Almost all of our communities are fully integrated in the sense your entire once you enter the community, you don't need to leave it even for the whole weekend. They've got beaches now in communities in Dubai. Which city in the world has put beaches in the middle of the desert? You've got hotels, you've got malls, you have movie theaters, you've got outdoor parks, pet-friendly areas, golf courses. Rivers. <laughs> so you have all of that. You've got business areas coming up in there. So they have everything so that you don't need. The schools are there, the clinics and hospitals are there. There is the lifestyle opportunity, outdoor markets. We have everything in these communities. So the whole idea is to expand Dubai through micro cities in the desert. So we do not have the shortage of space for that. Today, we don't even need you to come to Kite Beach, only if you want to gamble in the future. But we don't need you on Kite Beach or Jumeirah Beach. We're putting beaches in the desert for you. So the whole dynamic of how the city is built and its vision helps keep this thing alive for us. Let's leave Dubai a bit <laughs> and go to our neighbor, which is the kingdom. Okay. Uh, we we have heard there's nothing like really announced officially from the government, but however we have heard that their program for the freehold properties is gonna be starting in the next ninety days, most probably between April and May. Lots of our investors now they are starting to ask, would it be wise for me to jump now and to start investing in Saudi, or shall we wait a little bit more to see how stuff is going? Especially that now we have heard of another ease of lifting the ban of alcohol. It's not on locals, it's going to be on the expect. But I just saw it that this is a very strong message from the kingdom, which is telling everyone, you are more than welcome to come over here, to live in here, to do your businesses in here, and just to capture all of this new blessings or, or wealth coming in the city. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good thing for the whole region. Personally, I'm all in favor for it. Now, we again need to understand this in terms of the dynamics of actual activity. According to CBRE, they had a report around the middle of last year, late summer. The total value of investment in real estate in the Middle East is $1.3 trillion. That was last year's summer. It's definitely more now. $1.3 trillion. Of that, 64.5% was Saudi Arabia. Dubai was like 21.3%, literally one-third of that. But that is not what, that's not uh, misleading. It's just when you understand the nature of the project. For example, the NEOM project, the line itself is a 500 billion project. That's half a trillion. That's one project from 1.3 trillion is half a trillion. Well, that's going to take many, many years before it really is going to finish. It is an exciting project, no question about it. It is attracting investors, but that is going to be a lifestyle, a global lifestyle, but you're going to be stuck in a desert away from humanity in that. It's going to take years and years before that will happen. It is very good to see that the Saudi government is opening up after 72 years, they're lifting the ban on alcohol, but those articles clearly say this will be certain categories. But we know the future of that will be further expansion. You know, you cannot upset your local population. You bring it in a bit. People accept it, live with it. You expand it and then you expand it and then you expand it. That's how it's going to come in. But 
One thing that we read from this is it's very clear. For them to be able to compete with us, they cannot compete based on their current personality. They have to adopt things that have made Dubai and some of the other cities here far more attractive. One of them being alcohol, which I know there's a strong sentiment to this from certain people. But the reality is even the, uh, the Saudi kingdom, which was so firm on this, it has opened up on this. There's a clear indicator that if you want to become an economy that brings the best, why would people from Europe, why would people from Northern America, why would people from Australia, why would people from Asia want to come to your country if they cannot get a drink? They have a different belief system and value system, but there's no way, I respect your values, but there's no way you're getting me into your country. So they have started to, it just shows how much they are willing to take on to be recognized in this part of the world. That is a good thing for the whole region because it now means the Middle East becomes uh, an investment noise to the rest of the world and we can hold our own against several of the other major areas. This is the first thing. The second thing is while you will get investors coming, they are attracting the multinational companies to come in. Where is the lifestyle? It's a good 15 years away. So the lifestyle, for example, I would never take my family to Saudi Arabia. I love the country in terms of economic opportunity, but lifestyle, there's no way I'm going to live there with my own family. Probably you ask 10 people on the street, nine out of 10, or maybe even 10 out of 10 will say, not yet, not yet. Exactly, not yet. Everyone is waiting. They wanna see what's gonna happen in the next five years. Correct. The so, expo even. So it's very simple. You have two choices here. Uh, five years, could be 10 years, maybe three years, it doesn't matter. As an investor, you're an opportunist. When the opportunity is there now to make money, to park your money in the bank and wait, when Saudi opens, I don't know when, five years, eight years, I don't know when, you're not an investor. Because for those five years that your money's in the bank, how much are you making? Nothing. And, nothing. and how much is inflation canceling out on the purchasing power? It's gone. So the, the real opportunist says, we have amazing opportunities now, Dubai, Russell Kaimer, grab it, let's make our money. When Saudi really opens up, we can exit these assets if we want and, and take much larger amounts there. The investor is an opportunist. He's not gonna sit and say, I'll wait till Saudi opens and then come. That's an excuse that people are giving. You couldn't wear a short skirt and walk around in Saudi Arabia today. There are no discos and nightclubs for you to go to. You couldn't go under the beaches with your bikinis and walk around. You don't have the freedom that the people have in the malls yet. Which kind, what is the safety for my people there, my kids in that area? So no one or almost no one, no one is too extreme a statement. Most people would not yet go there with families. So they would go as an investor, but they probably would not go to be a homeowner in there and live with family. That's way off. Then the, by the time the casinos come here, now Saudi is going to have to consider that because they're going to lose a whole new wave of people when Bellagio and MGM and all of these open up here. So they are always going to be playing catch up or they'll have to do a very dramatic turnaround that what Dubai did in 20 years, they're going to have to try and do five to seven years. That's not going to happen. Particularly when your population there is largely local and not that many expat. So you're going to face all of these, but the ruler is brilliant. He's becoming the, he's becoming like Sheikh Mohammed, completely challenging all the norms and he's going out and it will get them the results, but it's a long way off. Now I want to speak about my favorite topic, Prime Stay. 
holiday homes companies. <laughs> I've seen an article yesterday that there is uh, a few companies that they are already in the process of finalizing the licenses in uh, in Saudi. Also coming to Dubai, uh, we have seen a mega rise in the inventory of the units. Today we have 28,000 units registered in the city. Uh double up from last year in terms of inventory and uh, I, I'm, I'm addressing this topic because lots of people now they're starting to say that Dubai is oversaturated with holiday homes unit is too much look at downtown look at this and that so doctor in general like what is the word value when it comes to holiday homes Okay, let's talk about world value and then let's look at Dubai because when you say world value, that includes uh, areas which are fast moving with a high footfall and it also includes areas of, of low football, footfall. So there will be an average. Dubai as a city will not operate below the average. They will always be above because we're one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world, which logically tells you that more and more holiday homes will be occupied. That's the first thing. Globally, if you look at in 2022, uh, you had the val total value of revenue was 100.8 billion. That is the amount in terms of dollars that was in the short-term rentals. Now, the projection is in the next 10 years, we go up to 20, uh, 229 billion. That's 129% increase. And this information, uh, recently Astico had it in one of their articles, Vantage Market Research globally came up with this. So when you're talking of the numbers projecting 129% increase, how are you going to do that without the physical number of uh, units increasing? It's not more people coming and staying. You cannot put two families in one unit. I am going to need two units for that. When we have the city actually becoming one of the most popular in the world for tourism, when we are opening our beachfront and hotels, when we are having more and more of the economic highlight, when the casinos are going to come in and they are going to come in a big, big way, there are going to be a lot of people coming in here. So the demand for holiday homes is going up. Yes, it's true. People will tell you, look at the downtown area, look at Dubai Marina, but Look at the actual numbers. Think of it logically. Why are those owners or why are the companies setting up in those areas and putting it in if the market is already saturated? It does not make sense. If you look at the number of tourists that visited New York, you had 62 million visitors to New York within one year. This is from all over the world. The downtown area alone had 69 million in one year. We're talking of New York as a city, and New York was the most popular city on the planet. Correct. I mean, Godzilla comes there, King Kong comes there, even the aliens come to New York. Everybody goes They're to New York. They're leaving Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So everybody comes to New York, and it's 62 million, domestic as well as international. We're at 69 million in the downtown area alone. So when people tell you that it's saturated, they're using the same logic and approach in saying we have too many launches happening. There are too many homes being handed over. This saturation concept is coming in, but every newspaper article, every developer that you go to is telling you we are having a shortage of homes. We are having a shortage of launches, ultra high net worth, as well as the 
affordable category like we're this shocked. week what are we now friday how many launches we had this week like value of the projects maybe they were over 500 billion dirhams branded and unbranded all together we've definitely had it so all of them are launching so it's very clear so there are people who will tell you yes it is saturated all i would do is i say anthony that's an interesting observation where exactly did you get that information from, from? their friends that they work Absolutely. in the mall? Absolutely. Yeah. They work in the mall. <laughs> the guy working in the mall is an expert on short-term rental business. True? Correct. Yeah. And, and that's financial literature. <laughs> yeah, that's when, that's when they realize. They will make these statements and they'll throw it off the hand. I've learned the best way to tackle these things, which are perception-based objections, is to challenge it, but in a nice way. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. By the way, where exactly did you get this from? Oh, my friend said this to me. Or it's everywhere. I said, no, 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 that was not my question. Where exactly did you get this information from? They back off. They already realize that they're making statements off the cuff and it's not built on a foundation. So let's, okay, let's take the opposite of it. Let's assume you're right, that it is saturated. Why are the new companies setting up in a saturated market? Let's assume we have too many launches that have happened. Why are the launches continuing and why are they selling, selling out? Selling out so quickly. Absolutely. Not even selling out in a week. Selling yeah. out in a couple of hours, which hours. is still too exactly. quick. So why is that happening? Uh, if there is a, an excess of handovers happening, why is there a shortage in the market today? So the actual dynamics on the ground do not match the perception of people who are talking about it. That's why I said incredible winners or incredible losers. That's it. Doctor, uh, what was the figures that we're going to see the increase on the rent on, on 2023? It was 14%, 17% and other okay. shots. Uh, the numbers that came out, there was a Better Homes report. There was a CBRE report that came out. They all came out at the beginning of the week. From 2020 till 2023, we had home buying prices went up by 33%, but rentals went up by 42%. The projection is for rents to go up 20% this year. Another 20. Another 20%. And the projection also is that the prices will go up, value strat said between 5 to 7%. Knight Frank is in the same range, around 5 to 7%. Realist has predicted 15%. But we also know that when uh, most of these companies are predicting it, they're doing a bit historical and a little bit looking at the future. Uh, Knight Frank projected 13.5% last year. We closed the year on 17.86, which is almost 40% above the prediction. And with what's now happening with the visas being more accessible, with the population, there's 250,000 people coming this year. Let's not forget that. We had only 100,000 last year. So there's a 150% increase on the new residents coming in just in this one year. So with all of that happening, the heat will be there and the prices will go up. Palm Jabalali has just started. Dera Islands has just started. There is a lot that is coming out as inventory. And I honestly don't believe that these real estate giants who've been here for 23 years are taking on to themselves this huge financial liability and launching when no one will want to buy. We're short of homes. It's as simple as that. If anybody looks at any of the major newspapers, three months ago, they carried this as a major headline. Calculate the numbers of people coming in and the number of units being handed over. And we are far short, both in economical as well as in the, uh, the ultra high net worth categories. We have doubled our sales of homes $5 million and above. 
in uh, 25 million dollar and above homes we are number one on the planet today okay. so the actual numbers are completely different from what people are talking about we're in a happy space if you're not in real estate you need to get into it <laughs> but if you don't understand real estate you need to get out of it correct doctor thanks again for an amazing episode we will see you next week with more news and updates about the city take care see you soon thank you anthony you are listening to take charge podcast host by anthony joseph <laughs>